0: podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I am honored to have a Prajita Jen, who is the Chief Marketing and Brand Evangelist from Google. Join us on the pod today. I won't spoil too much of the conversation. I will tell you that I was struck by her LinkedIn profile, where she says that she is born into an Indian family with a German upbringing and yet happened to be born on American soil, so was able to come to America for work 20 years ago. And she describes that time as a tailwind. And I describe the current day as a blustery headwind. And without getting into too many weather metaphors or analogies, It's a very wild, cool time to chat with someone who has been a part of the team at Google for the last 20 years. I was inspired to find her online and so grateful for her yes, and I hope this is a conversation that you enjoy as well. Well, just like that. Welcome to the mic. Welcome to the pod. I am so grateful
1: to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Steph. I'm very excited to be joining you today and
0: it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I have to tell you, both your LinkedIn profile and your YouTube series really caught me. I have become addicted to all things YouTube content that you have put out. And that being said, I don't want to make my own assumptions. I would love you to tell our listeners, who are you? Can you introduce yourself in 2024?
1: Who am I? Okay, I will start with the human side of me because I always feel that is more important than anything I might have done professionally. I'm a Prajita Jain born to parents of Indian ethnicity. They have been living in Germany for the past 50 years, so hence my upbringing happened in Germany. But I was born in the U.S., and that really enabled me to quickly move to the U.S. after I graduated school. So I have been working in the United States for 20 years. So I'm always uh, this melange of three cultures. Everything I approach my thinking. Uh, I often get the question, "What language do you dream in?" And that is also context ah. uh, dependent. But uh, yeah, I would say I'm a great mix of Indian values, German upbringing, and all the great things that uh, that comes with things like punctuality, straightforwardness, organization, um, a love for you know everything uh, being close to perfection, but not to the extent that it would hinder you. And then also the expansive thinking that uh, I learned when I moved to the US and just being innovative and scrappy. So it's a really good mix. And I always say I wouldn't want it any other way because it's really
0: shaped me into this unique person that I feel I have become. Oh my heart, isn't that the truth? When I hear this about the, um, let's call it the stereotypical regimented way of the Germans, I think how was that blend of your Indian roots met with the, I'm like, what is your favorite meal? Do you, is it schnitzel or is it Indian? Like, <laughs> how, how do you blend those pieces?
1: It's uh, very interesting, because if you think about it, the German culture and way of doing things is probably diametrically opposite to the Indian way of doing things. India is known for what we call the Jugaad mentality, right? You, if you have limited resources, you find your way around. It. It's almost like you're flowing water. If there's an obstacle in your way, you flow around it. And that's how Indians think and operate, just given the historical uh, and you know, cultural background of the country. In Germany, however, you make sure you line up all your resources, you plan everything out, and you follow that plan to the T. So it's very, very different. And having a footing in both cultures and ways of doing things has allowed me to flip a lot more. Sometimes if I feel the situation calls for me being more Indian, I become more Indian. If the situation calls for me being more organized, more structured, I know how to do that as well. So uh, I always say to my parents, the biggest blessing you have given me is to give me all these different backgrounds that I can pick and choose from.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I I have to ask you the question that you posed, which is which language do you dream in?
1: (laughs) So interestingly, I sat down one day and I started thinking, what is it really that differentiates one dream from another? And I always realized that when I'm thinking about something logical, let's say a math problem, or even if I'm dreaming about something more logical, if you can say it that way, it's always in German for some reason. Like even (laughs) during the day when I'm doing math, I always think my numbers and say my numbers in German. But if it's uh, in the context of family and personal relationships, it's always Mm -hmm. um, in Hindi, which is uh, the, the language we speak in India. And then if it's work related, it's mostly in English. So oh. it really depends on the context.
0: Oh, I love that. I, I heard the analogy of like a river or water flowing. And as you were explaining that, I just thought of like a grid formation in German, in le- like in the <laughs> land of Germany, you know, just like there is a stoplight and there is an off ramp and it is could not be more structured in that way. Less flow for sure. And I like that your dreams sort of reflect that as well. Okay, before we hit record, we spoke briefly of, the fact that you did come to the US 20 years ago to begin your career, which at the time was as easy as applying on Monster, which makes me giggle for a minute. I'm like, does Monster still exist? It may actually. You applied on Monster and your first role was in the AdWords space at Google. I'm like, good glory. Can you tell me about that experience and just transport us back 20 years ago? Um, What was happening in the world? What was it like? Because I think so often we forget like 20 years is a is a long time and that we were part of that lifetime, you know? It's a long time and yet maybe not so long. So help help take us back there and then we can work to present day.
1: This is perfect timing. I just completed a full 20 years in the United States last Friday. So wow. that was my 20 year anniversary in this country. And it gave me a moment of reflection. I was sitting in my home that Friday evening and just thinking about the past two decades. And I was also comparing what life was like back then, uh, technology, technology, existed, but not to the extent where we are reliant on our mobile phones and everything is at our disposal so much. But I remember when I moved here uh, and I was interviewed with Google, it was a little bit surreal because back then people knew what Google is. Obviously, people were using Google as a search engine, but I had absolutely no idea why Google would want to hire me, somebody with a marketing background, when in my mind it was a technology company. So I remember the first few conversations was me just asking Google a lot of questions about, well, what is AdWords. What do you, what, what type of role is this? Why do you need somebody in, with a marketing background? So it was a lot of discovery from my end, rather the other way around, which is more typical for an interview. Uh, and it was a very small team. Uh, digital marketing was just at the beginning, right? It had existed for a few years. Search advertising was the primary way of thinking about digital advertising. Display ads, video ads, all of that fancy, jazzier stuff did not exist. So You could almost say I've grown up with that a little bit, just as the industry developed, I kept learning step-by-step what that is. And today we are in a world where the majority of uh, the advertising spend is going towards digital and shifting more and more towards that. So I'd say uh, I was also lucky we had a lot of um, tailwind in that sense that viewership shifted to digital. With that, the industry developed faster than anybody could have thought. And it's been an interesting ride to say the least. Um, I'm very fortunate to have been part of it. Uh, and we'll see where the next five, 10 years take us, especially now with the even more rapid acceleration
0: and AI being at the forefront of everything. Yeah, no kidding. As you were saying that, I realized that in 2004, yes, we were using Google as a search engine, yet I, And I'm mindful I'm like, uh Oh, I'm bringing in the the wrong, wrong brand. The iPhone didn't even exist. It's like, and Google, like, and we didn't have Android phones either. Like that's pretty wild. When you speak of like mobile phones and you think of where were we searching? What was that experience? Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, I I mean, without to... dating us, if you think back, we used to all run around with these flip phones. The small yes. uh, mine looked like a little egg that you could flip open. And then around what two thousand eight nine is when we've got our first smartphone. So yeah, if I think back yeah. to that time, it's really strange to yeah. imagine how I lived my life
0: without Google Maps on my phone. For example. yes exactly exactly now also i feel like we have known that it has always been so hard to get into google the interview process was so regimented or tough or name it as you wish do you recall what that experience was like for you then
1: yeah i have a very fun story around that so when i uh, started the process with google i had two phone interviews which was a basic screening and again me asking a lot of questions about the role and then i was given a little workbook to Complete. There was a timer online for half an hour, and I had to complete some questions in that workbook. Once I passed that, I was invited for on-site interviews, and I was scheduled for three interviews on day one and three on day two. And I thought, you know, by the end of it, the decision would be made. So after those six interviews, um, I went shopping to a mall because, you know, I was visiting the US, so I might as well do some shopping on my way back home. And uh, during that time, I, uh, you know, I was, it was summertime, I was dressed in shorts, and a t-shirt, and I get a phone call from the recruiter. We know you're done with your six interviews, but there's one more we'd like you to have with our senior vice president of sales. And if you could please uh, be at our office in the next 20 minutes, that would be great. And I'm looking up and down. I'm like, um, I don't think I'm dressed appropriately for an interview right now. He said, no, no, this is Google. Don't worry. We have no dress code. Just drop by. It's just going to be very casual. So, you know, I took my shopping bags, put them in the car and, and drove to Google. And that was my seventh and last interview uh, after that I got confirmation very soon soon you know after that so it was great the process was much faster than it um, has been since but then also it's a little bit more structured now it's more condensed instead of seven interviews plus two phone interviews it's more like a uh, screening and then four interviews so yes the way recruiting is done has evolved but back then it was a little bit of a longer journey
0: <laughs> yeah i that's a beautiful reminder of this journey and how ai Will take over. How technology will take over. You know, candidates, but how much time they have and how much time companies have. That's really interesting, Intel, a, a beautiful reflection. Fast forward, you've been at Google now for 20 years and you have seen so much change. We know that 2024 is a year of even more enormous change. Um, and without getting into Google specifically, I'd love to understand sort of your heart at Google. And what I mean by that is following you know, your YouTube clips and sharing your relationship with how we're branding ourselves and how we're showing up in the world and quite frankly your reflections on other brands and how they are showing up. I'm wondering if you can take that and sh- you know riff with me any way you'd like any brand just what is near and dear to you in the messaging that you're seeing because of the depth of your role with Google?
1: So I love working with brands that can show up as humans. You know, whenever I look at mm. a brand, I always think, if this was a person, mm. would their identity be one that I would like to associate myself with as a friend, right? Would mm. I get along with it? And I talk a lot about building your brand identity, both from a visual perspective, but also audio and, and tactical and everything that else that comes with it. And I... When I look at a brand, I see what is the emotional connection this brand is trying to build with me? And are they talking to me at a level that I can relate to? But there's some brands that are just very high luxury and they want to stay exclusive and aspirational. And I personally... Feel a little less connected to that because it feels a little out of reach of the average person. Um, They have their reasons for being that way, but I really, really connect with brands that are very human and don't uh, feel scared to admit shortfallings or mistakes that they have done or even make fun of themselves. I feel um, Oatly is a great example. Um, I don't know if you have followed the development of Oatly. They started. All right, I believe around the 1990s, 2010 is when they really found their mojo, so to say. They used their packaging to start with a lot of uh, fun messaging. and like Who reads the outside of a milk carton, right? Like nobody really spends time with that. But I do look at their packaging every time because they have some funny message or some fun way to explain the nutritional benefits of that drink. So just the way they pivoted into finding that voice for their brand, that is something that fascinates me, even about some more traditional brands that have made the choice to become different, more humorous, more human in a way.
0: Yeah, I love that you mentioned Oakley, and I'm wondering if there are other brands that um, when you said brands that you would want to be friends with, who do you think of as brands that are your proverbial friends?
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, There is, you know, a lot of times it's these smaller D2C brands that are popping up because of a purpose. Because uh, we know this from data, from a lot of research that different companies have done that especially Gen Z and younger generations after Gen Z even are buying because not because necessarily they need a product, but because they are wanting to support a purpose. And I see myself standing behind that too. Sometimes I make my purchase decision between two brands because one really stands for something. They're maybe doing good for society. They're giving back. Um, There's a lot of examples like Tom's, Rothy's. um, um, Warby Parker, right? There's a cause, Bombast, Um, All of them have a cause that they support. And it, I feel this is one way of, for me to still participate in consumerism, which you can look at it in both ways, right? It's uh, good for the economy, but it's generally bad for the environment. But at the same time, do something good while I'm doing that. So I really mm-hmm. love brands that have some sort of purpose
0: uh, underlying their existence. Mm, I love that. I relate so much. And as you say, these brands, you know, they've been around for some time, like Tom's has gone through some iterations. And that's really powerful. And Bombast, I remember actually speaking with the founder in New York, and was so inspired by mm-hmm. the notion of putting socks on everyone socks for people on the streets and for people running marathons and everything in between. That's really, really special. I'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like. Our newsletter, we call it The Corkboard. It has all things juicy, whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching, development, or hot new jobs that we're working on. The link is in our show notes. Your inbox is sacred and your time is too. So now let's get back to the episode. you have mentioned that you are a marketing evangelist and i'm wondering if you can riff on what that means for you and where is the role for brand evangelists in the world today did you ever think as an adwords (laughs) person you'd become a a marketing evangelist
1: i always think of myself as a brand marketer first and somebody who's working at google in that capacity Mm -hmm. second yes i work at google but really the conversations I have with brands is about why is brand building important? Who cares about brands, right? How do you reach those audiences? Um, Why does it matter to even have a purpose? How do you portray that in a way that's authentic and that is, really walking the talk and not just, oh, we need this to increase our revenues. So a lot of um, thought leadership that I research and then share back is not necessarily I'm trying to sell you a product just because I work at this company and you should you know put more investment into this. You know, Yes, ideally, I mean, I'm still part of the corporation and we would hope you would invest more. But my primary goal and for any evangelist, I'm assuming, is to really drive the industry forward. And help shed light on complicated topics, but in a way that is easily digestible and that is rooted in something that would really matter to the brand, right? mm-hmm. So a lot of what I do is again, decoupled from a product cell, but more based in research, what is trending, how are consumers changing their behaviors and how can we
0: stay in tune with them mm, i love it i when i hear that i think back to what you said at the beginning of our conversation about tailwinds and it feels so important to be in this conversation to wear you know i don't like to say the hat but the hat of being an evangelist first and you know your role at google second if you will because i think the winds have changed and i think we're in a market that feels a lot more like a headwind than the once upon a time tailwind and I'm wondering um, if you can speak from yourself personally. What do the headwinds? Um, and I'm going to put an asterisk here. I'd like. I'd like us and for our listeners to know this is outside of anything going on at Google or within the tech space. This is a personal question around how do you handle the headwinds of this economic time? And I'll start by sharing, you know, for me, I looked at Q1 and was like, I'm here to hunker down. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I would love to run away to sunshine right now. That feels like a really wonderful idea. And I'm like, you know what? The headwinds for me say it's time to be here it's time to, you know, hunker in at home and let's give this some time. Not that I want the winds to pass me by. I just feel very aware of them. Um, The the gusts feel real up here. (laughs) And I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing from your perspective, what what does it, feel like or, or mean for you?
1: I've thought a lot about this, especially you know since the beginning of the year. And even last year, I think the economy was already um, taking a turn where things got rougher in the industry overall. And after a lot of thinking, really, the, the kind of crux of the story for me was I can only control the controllables. So what it comes down to for me is if I start worrying and creating anxiety about all these things that are outside of what I can influence, it's just going to paralyze me even more and overwhelm me with all. The things I'm trying to change, but can't change. So what I can focus on is that the things that I can immediately influence. And that is my attitude, and my reactions towards the actions that are happening around. Me. And mm-hmm. if I keep a positive mind, and if I say, I will do my best to function in this environment, even if that means, you know, I need to step back from certain opportunities, or maybe double down on other opportunities, the choice is mine for the things that I can control. And that's mm-hmm. been my motto since then, like, a uh, little bit, you know, r- relying on that uh, Uh, Indian philosophy of flowing like a river. If I see obstacles in my way, whether that be imposed by a certain organizational structure or economic environment, um, I will find a way to work around that to the best of my ability. Mm. And in the process, hopefully help others around me do the same thing. So that's been Mm. my way of controlling the controllable.
0: I love controlling the controllables because it also makes me think about goals. And it makes me think about, you know, when the clock strikes a new year, we think what what will this new year hold? And often I think it's easy to project goals or, come up with goals for other people. And I always love reflecting back to say, what are the goals that I'm committed to this year? And, you know, to use your words that I can control an outcome on. And I'm wondering if you'd be up for sharing any new year goals Something tells me they might be kind of wild.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is a whole list, believe me. I was um, traveling through Vietnam around Thanksgiving last year, and I spent all the time that I was on uh, planes in between different cities. Uh, You know, these are short flights, usually hour and a half, two hours, working on this uh, resolutions list on my phone. And I came up Mm. with maybe one pager worth of things and i divided them into categories like family just personal development career and uh, i called one category micro habits and I think the micro habits were ones that I have always tried but struggled, like things like staying hydrated, you know, drinking a certain amount of water a day, um, waking up immediate or getting out of bed immediately after I wake up, um, not using my phone for 30 minutes after I wake up. Right, These little things that um, seem like they're little, but in the end, it, they make a big difference. So that is yeah. one category focused on right now and i've been trying to change my habits around those things and then there's obviously these bigger categories that are partially some that i can influence and partially they depend on the environment around me but yes i do have a list Um, this time it's more structured than it used to be in past years. Mm-hmm. And I hope I accomplish at least half of it by the
0: end of the year. I love it. We used to declare that if, if you can fail at half of your goals, you've set big enough goals. Yeah, and they're absolutely all stretch them? goals. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Can you share one goal that makes you sweat? Like what, what what is one goal that you're like, it feels like a stretch with like, it could be anxiety or it could be excitement kind of feeling.
1: Yeah, so I am working on a degree in... Uh, fitness and nutrition science. And I signed up for that last year. It has four stages. I've passed the first one, which was an exam that you have to take. And I still have three stages in front of me. I set myself the goal that I want to complete that by the end of this year. It is stressing me out a little bit because I have not started yet and we are almost done with the month of January. I have all these books lined up on my desk at home and I look at them every day and I think, well, maybe I should just open the first page and you know, spend 10 minutes on this, but I just haven't gotten into that momentum yet. And I know it's a dream of mine to complete that. And uh, I've been on this journey for about two, three years now and I really, really want to get this done with this year. <laughs>
0: I love it. So perhaps by the time this podcast comes out, you'll have a new habit, a micro habit of 10 minutes a day. And now now
1: that I've put it out there, um, there. somebody needs to hold me accountable.
0: Yes, 10 minutes. I love it when we're like, someone else needs to hold me accountable. I'm like, I just think you've got it and you get to hold yourself accountable. How beautiful is that one? Oh, I love it. Well, as time goes, it's so fast. I just want to say thank you for taking the time for acknowledging the tailwinds and the headwinds and sharing a little bit on the Uncorked podcast, it means so much. And we wrap every podcast with the same question. And that is, would you tell us what is making your heart beat faster?
1: That's a lovely question, first of all. And I'll have to go back to all your podcasts and listen to people's (laughs) answers to this. But as I'm getting older and with that, hopefully more mature, I'm realizing what makes my heartbeat the fastest is the small things or Mm -hmm. developing an awareness and appreciation of the small things. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, I used to think, oh, when I achieve this, I'll be happy Mm -hmm. when this happens, I'll be happy and it was almost big moments that shook my heart. And now it's I'm walking and I see a flower that I've always liked. And that makes me happy. That, that makes my heart beat fast. If mm. somebody sends me a note, even if it's just saying, hey, I was thinking of you. So I shot you this note that makes my heart beat faster. So it's really I'm more and more realizing that the big things lie in the small things. And mm. uh, I have a different sense of appreciation for those
0: things as i'm getting older mm. i just heard that the micro moments are actually the macro memories <laughs> Absolutely. perhaps in that sweetness of the small things our days are made and We don't need to wait for some big thing if there is such beauty in these small micro habits and micro moments that's so well said
1: the simple life is sometimes the most sophisticated life
0: you know i don't know many people in mountain view california that talk about a simple life so you are a part of a zip code of very complex individuals so you just keep forging the simple path and we are watching you so thank you Thank you for everything you put out. Know that we're following. And if you're listening to this, please jump on, follow, and just thank you, really and truly.
1: Thank you so much, Steph. It was such a pleasure to be here and just have a very casual, friendly conversation with you. It was really lovely. Uh
0: Hey, before you go, you know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.